you. Good morning, everybody. Hope you had a great Thanksgiving. Really glad that you're uh, spending some of your Thanksgiving weekend with us. Before we jump into the sermon, I just want to reiterate what we heard Blake say on the video about these packets uh, that will uh, guide us through uh, December 1st through December 25th uh, here coming up. Uh, There's a Christmas tree out in the commons. If you take a left out of here as you're headed toward the exit, you can't miss it. I would encourage all everyone, all of us to take one of these regardless of our age. I think you're what you're going to find is this is a really fun and meaningful way to move through those 25 days and uh, to go along with our sermon series as we're looking at the genealogy of Jesus and we're looking at the characters in the story of uh, from creation till, till uh, the, the nativity, that we'll get to learn a lot about the story of God through these characters. And so no matter your age, I think you'll appreciate these packets. Feel free to take one uh, when you leave this morning. I just want to, because uh, December will be here before we see each other again on a Sunday morning. And so feel free to grab one of those. We are concluding our series called The Great Life Today. Our world, we've been learning, tries to sell us something it calls the good life. A life of pursuing wealth, of defining ourselves by what we earn or buy or own, our expenses and the experiences that they promise to provide. And we've spent the last several weeks looking instead at the great life that Jesus provides. A life of generosity, a life of realizing that God has invested true riches in us and that we can put trust, our trust, in his provision. That's a great life. This, we're concluding our series today by acknowledging that this great life is also a grateful life. Gratitude, giving thanks, saying thank you, indicates an openness and a humility in each of us, which we've been learning all these last several weeks are so essential to this great life. An openness to recognizing that God is the giver of all good things, right? And I get to be the receiver. You and I are the receivers if we're open, if we're open. And humility that sees that I'm not the source of the blessing in my life. My job instead is to be thankful. So openness and humility, these are powerful things that we can cultivate and that God wants to see grow in us. And he helps us in that growth if we choose to pursue them. But sometimes we're not so open, not so humble. And that is where Jesus and his word and his spirit come in. The influence of his power in our lives to keep us humble and to keep us open. That really can't be uh, underestimated. When, or it can be underestimated, and we shouldn't. That's what I'm trying to say, all right? Sometimes we're not that open and humble. We need to lean into him and in his wisdom and his love and his grace, and we will find that we are changing and growing in those ways. So what we want to do today as we're thinking about the power of gratitude is take a good look at an account in which we see how much giving thanks means to Jesus. We're going to be in Luke chapter 17, And it begins in verse 11 this way. Now, on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. And as he was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met him. This is the opening scene here of our account. We meet ten wretched, forsaken, disheartened men. They had leprosy, a skin disease for which there was no cure. 
In fact, leprosy was for 99 times out of 100, it was a death sentence carried out a little bit at a time, just a, a torturous existence. And as if that weren't enough, it also carried with it the requirement that if you had leprosy, you steered clear of all other people. And here is Jesus. He's walking, as we read here, along the border on the outskirts, as he was prone to do. And it is there that he meets these ten men. We do well to pause and just reflect for a moment. It was only in a place like this that he would run into people like this on the border, on the outskirts, where they were forced to have to stay and hang out. They had found each other, but other than that, they had to stay away from everyone else. But this is where Jesus is, and this is who he's with. And we shouldn't forget that. We just sang so beautifully, Jesus sought me when a stranger. Maybe today that's you. You feel like whether you're with me here in the room or we're together online, you just sense that you're far from God, that you're a stranger, that you've been dismissed or forgotten or pushed aside by those that you've known or even loved or in this world. You wonder if anyone even notices and you're on the outskirts of everything, just on the outside looking in. Let this story serve as a reminder to us this morning that that's where exactly where Jesus loves to hang out, where he loves to find people that he can encounter and show love and healing to. He seeks those who feel like strangers. He remembers those that everyone else forgets or neglects or dismisses. And no one in this society would that be more true uh, than a leper pushed aside, and let's just pretend they don't even exist. No one wants to come near, but here walks Jesus. And as we're reflecting on that, we're also, we also do well to remind ourselves that maybe that it might be us who need him, and it's also definitely what we're meant to be. That we can remind ourselves that it's on the outskirts, it's, it's on the, the fringes of our relationships that love is most needed and that we're called to show that love. That Maybe in Thanksgiving weekend, let's face it, can be a pretty, uh, pretty big encounter of that. Maybe there are people in our lives in which we've kind of pushed to the edges. We've kind of made them the outcast in our own society, so to speak, our own circle of love and acceptance or forgiveness or grace or just the ability to have a civil conversation. Jesus goes to those edges. He goes to the borders, the outskirts. And he calls us to do as much as we can to do the same. This is where Jesus likes to hang out, and this is exactly where we find him. It says, they stood at a distance, and they called out to Jesus in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. These men were hopeless and helpless and alone except for each other. They stood at a distance because no one ever wanted them near. No one wanted what they had. So they lived on the outskirts, gradually watching each other die. And here walks Jesus, and they cry out to him. They meet him, and their hopes begin to rise. Because he was becoming famous for his compassion, well-known for his empathy and his caring. And if anyone would have, as they put it, pity on them, it would be this guy, Jesus. And more than that, he had power from God to heal. So somehow the word had gotten to them. They knew enough to know that if you needed healing, this was the one you asked. And come to think of it, we shouldn't forget that either. 
If you're here today, in-house or online, and healing is something you need. You're wounded. Wounded in your soul. Wounded in your emotions. You're walking around with a need for healing. A disease. A sickness. Whatever it is you might be facing. Know that there's one ready to hear your cry. Have pity on me. Have mercy on me, Lord Jesus. Talk to Jesus today. He is but a prayer away. You can guarantee it. You may feel as though the whole world has forgotten or wants to neglect you. Jesus has never taken his eye off you. He knows and loves you and wants nothing more than to live life with you, starting even right now. Somehow these ten guys, they knew this much about Jesus. And they talk to him. They cry out to him. They reach for him. In verse 14 it says, When he saw them, he said, Go, show yourselves to the priests. That's all he said. And as they went, it says, they were cleansed. They were healed. What's going on here? Jesus instructs them to do what the Old Testament law required of someone with a skin disease. Go to the priest, obtain verification from the priest that you're now cured. Let the record show. It rarely happened, but when it did, you needed papers to show, I'm okay now, you can be around me, and I'm allowed to be back in society. Obtain verification from the priest that you're cured. Let the record show you're no longer infected, and you're free to go about your life and be accepted by everyone. And so very matter-of-factly, Jesus just says, go show yourselves to the priest. There's no condemnation something they would have been used to hearing. Did God do this to you? What did you do to deserve this? Nothing like that. No repulsion. Stay away from me. You're gross, right? And in the end, no, not really pity, as we would come to understand that word. Not really. He met them with compassion and, yes, respect and, of course, power. Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. We just read that. And he tells them to go on ahead of him. You head to the priest in Jerusalem. They do. And as they walk, they see their leprosy leave them. Their skin is restored. So far, it's a wonderful story of healing, but it's only the first half of the story. Verse 15. One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back, praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And it says he was a Samaritan. More on that in a moment. There were ten lepers. They all asked Jesus for healing, and they all were healed. But there was a key difference in one of them. Nine of them received healing and went on their way. Only one took the trouble to come back and say, thank you. And because he did, he's in the Bible. So it must be pretty important, right? So let's talk about this. Let's talk about the power of giving thanks. There was a Christian who lived about 700 years ago, a thinker and writer named Meister Eckhart. And he once wrote, if the only prayer you ever say in your entire life is thank you, it will be enough. Now, is that an overstatement just to make a point? Maybe, maybe not. Gratitude is powerful in the formation of our souls. When we become people who get good at saying thanks, thanks to each other, thanks to God certainly, then it other things become true of us. And so the ability to pray such a prayer unlocks, opens, humbles in ways that make a lot of other good things grow, unleashes a lot of other virtues, gives them the chance to grow in us as well. 
Thank you, God, for your love and your grace. Thank you, God, for changing my heart. Thank you, God, for never neglecting me. Thank you, God, for providing all that I have and all that I need. We can think of it like this. To quote another person who lived quite a while ago, I got this from 19th century preacher. He was also an abolitionist. He was also an advocate for women's suffrage, a guy named Henry Ward Beecher. He gives a great illustration of the power of gratitude. And he goes like this. If one should give me a dish of sand and tell me that I were to look for particles of iron in it, I might look for them with my eyes and search for them with my clumsy fingers and be unable to detect them. But let me take a magnet and sweep through it and it will draw to itself the almost invisible particles. And then he makes this application. The unthankful heart, which any of us can have, right? Like my fingers in the sand discovers no blessings. But let the thankful heart, let our hearts be magnetized, so to speak, with thankfulness, with gratitude. Let the thankful heart sweep through our lives. And as a magnet finds the iron, so it will find in every day some heavenly blessing. Think of all, the, think of all a thankful heart can do in forming our souls. A heart magnetized, so to speak, by the Holy Spirit's work in us so that we're able to see and notice and appreciate and yes, in prayer, say thank you for things we otherwise would have missed. A lot of good things can flow from just that one thing, a thankful heart. This is certainly the witness of, the, of our faith. It's what the scriptures constantly exhort us, disciples to be. Consider Colossians 3, whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him, whatever you do, give thanks to God. Giving thankful praise is the only right response to the great life that God gives us. That's why being grateful is absolutely part and parcel of, being, of living the great life. Living in Christ means giving thanks. And God deserves our praise each and any day. It's not just a nice thing. It's part of our ethic. Check out Ephesians chapter 5. Paul is writing and he lays down some pretty, clear, some pretty clear ethics here. Let there be no sexual immorality, impurity, or greed among you. We talked about greed a few weeks ago. Jesus said, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. We've been talking about our relationship to our material possessions and how easily consumerism and things can creep, in, creep into us. And he puts greed right up there along with other, uh, other sins. He says, such sins have no place among God's people. And then he goes on, obscene stories, foolish talk, coarse jokes. These are not for you. Instead, what's the, what's the instead to all of that, right? Here's a big bucket of nastiness and don't do any of this. This is below you now. Leave that in the rearview mirror. These are the things you should be moving away from, not moving toward. These are the things you should be letting go, not embracing, right? All this, all of this. And this instead what? Let there be thankfulness to God. It should be our native language. When I and you become tuned to giving thanks to God, then we begin to see all these other temptations and things in our lives for what they are, and we begin to uh, get better and better at leaving them behind. We, we recognize the goodness of God in our lives, and what, guess what? We only want more of that. We recognize this great life that God gives doesn't have time for foolishness, as he puts it here. It should be our native language, the words of gratitude are a great and perfect replacement for empty words of cursing or foolishness. And of course, that old favorite, complaining, right? And let's not forget the power of gratitude in our relationships. 
This is a great idea when it comes to how to get along with each other or show love to each other. Whether it's to our kids or to our parents or to our spouses, or our co-workers, our neighbors, our brothers and sisters in Christ. When I can express a, a spirit of gratitude, when I can thank you for something that you've done or just that I'm thankful for some aspect of who you are. What a great way to show love that is. And what a, a great way to not just accentuate the things that make us different or keep us apart or the ways we disagree. Right. And there are a few sometimes. Right. But what if I spend my time like that magnetized, grateful heart, finding something in you I'm grateful for? And we find that in each other. And we take the time to express it. Some love begins to flow. Some appreciation. Our hearts soften toward each other, towards, towards maybe those folks were, that were at the Thanksgiving table that we wish they'd gone to their in-laws for Thanksgiving. Anyone? Okay, just checking. One guy in our story here, our true story, our account. One guy bothered to say thank you. It was that he was an exception. Let's not make gratitude the exception, but the rule of our living. Amen? Verse 17, Jesus asked him, were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? It's a good question. Jesus went, or he went there and he asked it. Were there tears in his eyes, maybe irritation in his voice, if we could allow for that? Certainly, perhaps, an ache of disappointment in his heart. Where are the other nine? Were not all of you cleansed? He knew they were. He absolutely knew they were. Now, while I can relate to the other nine, I definitely see in this moment, I don't want to be them. I, I don't want to let myself become like them, because I don't want Jesus to have to ask some similar question to me, right? I know that I'm doing this in your life, are you, is there anything in you that's going to give thanks? Do you see it? Do you see how much I love you? Do, do you recognize my work in your life? See, Jesus' power is with you and me as we say yes to him. And as we walk where he tells us to go, as he told them to walk where he told them to go. And then in that walking, I and, and all of us can and can I say should, even must, turn to him and give him praise. That there's something that's absolutely part and parcel of that walking and that, that saying yes, it's thanking him for that. But I admit, often I don't. What sometimes keeps us from giving thanks? May I offer at least three possibilities. Our pain, our pace, and our pride. Let's talk about this for just a second. Think about our pain and think about the pain of these lepers. Let me ask you something. Have you ever gone through something so rough that it was difficult to feel good about anything. It was so hard, it was so difficult, it was draining so much life from you that feeling good about anything was hard to do. Perhaps you even felt like you had nothing to be thankful for. I wonder if the other nine just forgot how to say thank you, that it had been so, so long, too long, since they'd been moved to anything resembling gratitude. They had lived so long in the darkness that their eyes didn't know how to see anything else anymore. In 1 Thessalonians 5, it says, Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in what? All circumstances. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Circumstances can, be, can go up, down, sideways, Right? Give thanks. Find a way. Find a reason to give thanks in all circumstances. But so many times our pain can numb us to that. It's too much. We forget how to say thanks even. 
It's like a language we forget to know how to speak because the pain's too much. And maybe their pain had numbed them to anything else and it just didn't occur to them. Or perhaps they were just in a hurry to book it to Jerusalem and get on with their lives. And that's their pace and our pace too. That as they were seeing themselves cleansed, their minds just went to the future and thought, now I can finally do this, 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 and this. Let's go. And they began to just hightail it into the city. In our modern world, we live at a violent pace. Gratitude slows us down enough to see. He, this guy took the time to turn around and come back and give it the time that it, was, that was, it deserved, giving thanks to Jesus. Gratitude slows us down. And, of course, we're about to enter a season, most ironic of all, a season devoted to blessings that keeps us too busy to count them, Right? Consider Philippians chapter 4. Don't be anxious about anything. Our pace, our hurry, our worry. Don't be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Here we read, gratitude decreases anxiety, increases contentment. Something we talked about a few weeks ago, contentment with what we have. There's always a reason to give praise and thanks to God. It's how peace guards and rules our, our, our hearts. Gratitude focuses us on what we have, not on what we don't have or wish we had, right? But too often our pace does not allow for this, does not allow time for this, time for reflection, time for grateful prayer. Too often we're skimming the surface of our life. Picture something going so fast it can just skim the surface of the water. And as a result, we're missing the sermon of life, the message, the meaning that life is trying to teach us. But man, if we can slow down, we'll begin to go, we'll drop down into our lives a little bit, take a look around, begin to see just how good it is. If we slow our pace, it's very hard to be grateful in a quick way. Gratitude slows us down. We've got to see what we're grateful for. We've got to notice it when we take the time to notice stop skimming, then good things begin to happen. Emerson once uh, said that if the stars came out uh, only once a year, we'd all stay up all night looking at them, right? We've seen the stars so often, though, that it, we don't bother to look at them anymore. And we've all been there. We can grow accustomed to our blessings. And our pace, will, when it's fast, will almost assuredly make that true. When we slow down enough, the prayer that counts for so much can make its way, finally have the time to make its way to our consciousness and our lips. God, you're the source of it all. Thank you. So our pain gets in the way. Our pace keeps us from doing this. Our pride tells us that we need uh, no one but ourselves, right? Gratitude reminds us instead that we're dependent on God. That I recognize I'm a receiver before I'm ever a giver and that I'm dependent. We live in a world that wants to elevate independence, right? In fact, the highest of virtues might be that I don't need anybody. And we might even think that the self-made person and the person who doesn't need another soul, that somehow they've really figured life out. But the opposite is true. We recognize we are dependent on God. Gratitude keeps, us, uh, keeps God in his rightful place in our lives. That There will always be someone 
to whom I am always grateful. I always owe God a debt of gratitude. He is always doing something in my life I could never do for myself, even if it's just the breath in my lungs. Amen. So there's always someone greater than me. That keeps me humble. That keeps me open. I want to receive this great life that he has for me. I know I could never manufacture it or drum it up all by myself. I need him. I'm dependent on him. I'm grateful to him. Paul wrote to the Romans about people who slip into ingratitude and even likened it to idolatry. Uh, yet even people who at one point know God. Check this out. Romans chapter one, he, he writes, for although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. This is important. The idea that this is right up there. This is such an important act, giving thanks to God. He says they didn't. Their thinking became futile. Their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools. They exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being or birds, animals, reptiles. In other words, idols. You and I are probably not walking around thinking that we're in any danger of idolatry. But the fact is, what we see here is one of the first steps toward drifting into a life that forgets to acknowledge God and ends up kind of letting other things guide our lives, which is just another way of saying idolatry, is that we forget to give thanks to God. That when we begin to let that slip behind or just not become something that, that becomes a part of who we are, we are on our way to forgetting him altogether. Giving thanks brings him back to the center of our attention. And it keeps us out of the center, right? Keeps us as grateful receivers. To know God and not glorify him and give thanks to him, no matter what, is a sure first step to the foolish and futile way of living that we read about right in this passage. And sadly, there are times during which it might seem that nine out of 10 of us are doing exactly this. I wonder how often Jesus experiences something similar to the scene that we've been uh, reading about in his relationship with us as human beings. I'm doing so much in their lives, but where are they when it comes time to give thanks? He asks, we're not all 10 cleansed. Where are the other nine? Now, I feel for these nine. I don't feel any compulsion to look down on them because often I am them. But I want to be this one. He is tapping into what I see that I need. Maybe you too. Here he is taking the time on his knees. He throws himself before the Lord, giving thanks. He has one job. It's to say thank you. He takes the time to do it with his whole heart. Could it be that simple? Maybe we can ask ourselves, when was the last time I stopped everything else I was doing and truly focused, counted some blessings and thanked God for them? If we do that on a regular basis, we might be surprised at the things that grow in us and the ways our hearts change. Jesus asks in verse 18, has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner. Now to our ears, that might sound pejorative, but what he's getting at here is that the others should have known better because what, there was another thing that was true of this guy. Not only was he the one out of 10 that came to give thanks, he was a Samaritan. In other words, he was not fully a Jewish person. And what Jesus is saying here is he wasn't necessarily raised on or well aware of the teachings that guided God's people. In our modern language here as Christians, we might say he wasn't raised in church. 
So Jesus is saying he knew that the thing to do in this moment was to come back and give thanks. And certainly those other nine should have known it. They were raised in the synagogue. They, they knew God's word. And that where are they? That's his point here. Sometimes us as churchgoers, if we're really honest, sometimes it's us churchgoers who act the least like Christ or treat people worse in our society. And I do imagine that Jesus feels much uh, like he did in this moment. Where are they? What are they doing? Sometimes it's those who've yet to know Christ who end up showing more love, finding in themselves more compassion or patience than we who claim his name. It should never be, but we need to come clean and at least say sometimes it is the truth. But it doesn't have to be true for me or you. Jesus is observing this and he's a little bit kind of flabbergasted by it. He's, he's, he's baffled. Where are they? Now, we all, we all likely agree that gratitude is great, a necessary virtue. But why is it great? Why, is it, why this reaction from Jesus? Why does being grateful mean so much to him? Because as he puts it here, it is praise to God. Has no one returned to give praise to God? When we give thanks, we give praise. And who we give praise to and how often we give praise set, will set the atmosphere of our own souls in our formation of our character. And so it's important because we're giving praise to God. This means something. In fact, it means a lot. When we're little kids, someone and someone gives us a gift, right? Uh, what words come out of our parents' mouths nearly every time? At least if if you had my parents, right? Someone, someone gives you something. They look down at a say and, and, and ask, now what do you say, right? Does that ring a bell with anyone? Yeah, what do you say? I'm thinking of Christmas coming up here or birthdays as a kid. Whole family is over. I'm opening my gifts. I love what I've got. And I'm all, all I want to do is start playing with it. I have immediately forgotten who gave it to me or that they're sitting right there, right? It's mine now. It belongs to me. I'm ready to play with it. My little brother's not touching it. That's all that matters to me. And then I hear that voice. It's usually my mom's. Now, what do you say to grandma and grandpa? Right? I laugh at that now, but I have to wonder, have I really changed? Thanks can sometimes be the last thing I think to say to God or maybe even to others too. That may be true sometimes for you as well. Why might that be? Well, perhaps we've forgotten how, because life's been hard. Maybe we're moving too fast. Or there's a chance we've just become so self-reliant, we've lost sight of where or from whom all this comes. Jesus says to him, rise and go. Your faith has made you well. A faith that's thankful, a faith that gives praise this is wellness to our souls. Not only was his skin made well and he was healed physically, but he's being made well in whole new ways because he returned, stopped, and gave praise to God. Maybe you've heard of something called a gratitude journal. Uh, these are widely recommended well beyond people of faith. It's hard to, to miss this recommended practice especially if you're going through something and you feel like you could use some uplift, some focus, some, some perspective in life. I kept a gratitude journal during the lowest year or two of my life. 
It's very simple. I just opened an app and made a note each day for one thing. I, uh, it could be the most mundane thing in the world, but I, if I was grateful for it, I jotted it down. It helped me tremendously. It centers you. You find the floor of your emotions. You begin to recognize that no matter how badly things may be going, it reminds you not everything's going badly. It helps you begin to see that God's still there. God's still taking care of you and God is still with you and that there are little blessings all throughout the day. And then you can review that journal at times and begin to teach yourself that exact lesson. The practice of gratitude, though, makes that lesson possible. But if we don't stop and take a moment to say thank you, we miss that lesson. It's certainly a practice I couldn't recommend more highly. It's super, super simple. In Psalm 107, it says, Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Give thanks. To whom? To the Lord. Why? He's good. And more than that, his love endures forever. His love never ends. Jesus gives us a wellness that cannot be taken away, which we can always give him heartfelt thanks for, because he has cured our sin disease. And we can be grateful. Let's pray together. Jesus, we hear that voice. Might not be our mom or dad, but sometimes it's your Holy Spirit saying, now what do you say? What's going on in your life that might be keeping us from saying thank you? Jesus, you know. You see. Help us, Lord, to learn the lessons of gratitude, to learn to say thank you, to make it a part of our practice, to make it a part of our character of who we are. It's a great way to show love and it's a great way to give praise to you. Holy Spirit, help us in this. We know you will. In your name we pray. Amen.